my thought was, could I use technology in a way to collapse that distance between that maker and that designer, you know, between that end product and the customer of that product? Welcome to Honest Ecommerce, a podcast dedicated to cutting through the BS and finding actionable advice for online store owners. I'm your host, Chase Clymer, and I believe running a direct-to-consumer brand does not have to be complicated or a guessing game. On this podcast, we interview founders and experts who are putting in the work and creating real results. I also share my own insights from running our top Shopify consultancy, Electric Eye. We cut the fluff in favor of facts to help you grow your e-commerce business. Let's get on with the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Honesty Commerce. I'm your host, Chase Clymer. And today, we're welcoming to the show Umaima. She is the founder of Vita, a global platform offering unique, sustainable, and beautifully design-driven products that aim to positively impact people's lives and overall well-being. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Chase. It's a pleasure. Absolutely. And just a little inside baseball for all the listeners and potential watchers on YouTube. We've been trying to schedule this one for quite some time. And we finally did it. And I'm so excited that you're here. Quickly, for those that are unaware uh, of Vita, can you describe the the types of products that you guys are bringing to market? Yeah. So Vita is a platform and it's a collaboration between creatives and makers to create beautiful, original, and thoughtfully produced products that are produced on demand only after people purchase them and at mass scale. And that has been the history of Vita for many years, over six years. Um, As some of your listeners might uh, know, we uh, made a a big shift into healthcare products, and I'm sure we'll talk a lot more about it. Um, But really, you know, with that ethos of being a responsible company, bringing products that people need and that people want, and that make a difference in the world. Absolutely. And we're going to talk all about Vita and and the story there. But take me back in time. Uh, you've got a, a very fun history. Uh, let's we'll just take you back to wherever you want to start the conversation. Sure. Let's go back. Well, back in time. Um, so, you know, just in terms of sort of the history of the company, um, this was an idea that I would say that I had thought of for many, many years. So I'm originally from Pakistan. Um, when I was two years old, we had to escape the country in the middle of the night, my parents um, and my one sibling, and we were displaced for, um, you know, much of the years that I was growing up. Um, we lived in exile for 10 years. I mean, I didn't have access to formal schooling or formal education. What I did see in sort of my, you know, small four world world was a lot of beautiful craft and art. I was in rural Pakistan. I was in, you know, many sort of parts of the world that, um, you know, I would say most of the listeners might not even have heard of. Um, but really what I saw was, you know, incredible craft, incredible designs. And I got very interested in learning that craft. So I started to sew, I started to paint, I started to sculpt. And, uh, for some time, and this is, you know, before college, um, I thought I would be a designer. So I uh, actually built a line. I went and talked to factories. Um, and I, I, you know, put a little bit of money in trying to, you know, just build a few samples. Um, but I really could never get that break. And the issue, the way I saw it was that I did not have the capital to actually build inventory, to actually build an entire you know, line of products that I could then show to my potential customers who could then purchase the product. So 
where do you really start? The other thing that I noticed, you know, in that time was I was spending time in these factories and I saw the people who were building these products with their hands, you know, the people who are actually sitting in factories, you know, sewing these products, their lives were not being, you know, positively impacted by this now trillion dollar industry, right? So there was this big divide between the beautiful end products that you see but then the people who are actually making those products with their hands. And that just stuck with me. Um, Coming from the background that I came from, where I felt like I had very, very little, and I couldn't really get myself to, you know, take that, um, that vocation and say, I'm going to be an artist. I felt it's just not practical. I just cannot do this. So um, from homeschool, you know, I actually made my way to um, education in the United States. So I went to Cornell, I did computer science and psychology, and then I built my career in technology. Completely different, um, you know, different um, kind of a direction. And ultimately then went to Harvard Business School. And um, all these years, you know, those sort of doors that were shutting on me and, and those moments that I spent in those factories, that stuck with me. And my thought was, could I use technology in a way to collapse that distance between that maker and that designer, you know, between that end product and the customer of that product? Can I take, you know, and tap into the creative talent from all over the world um, that is already there in all, you know, parts of the world and give them a way to design and produce products that customers can see, and there's no middleman. And the customer decides whether that product is made or not. So that was really the impetus of um, Vita. We started with scarves and apparel. We went into accessories, home decor, jewelry. And uh, yeah, that's kind of been the the story of, you know, the, uh, I would say, Vita 1.0. Absolutely. Now, I got a lot of questions here. I guess the first one is, is when did you decide to really dive in on this idea? And what was that like first step? What did that look like? Or the first steps in the process? I will tell you that, you know, in my mind, I wanted to do this way earlier than I actually did. It took me it took me much longer than um, maybe in some ways it should have. And I think... um, uh, you know, I will say to entrepreneurs who are thinking about, you know, there's there's never a good time, you know, and I think for me too, there was there's never a good time. And I ultimately just reached a point in a job where I wasn't finding my passion, you know, where I wasn't happy every single day going to work. And I said, you know, I don't know that there's going to be a better time and I'm and I'm going to do this. So making, having made sort of that decision, you know, the first thing that I did was I actually started to talk to designers, you know, and I was cold calling them. I made a list, a spreadsheet, a Google spreadsheet of, you know, designers that I could find online. And I started to talk to them about what were some of the challenges that they faced. Then I went to a few different countries. So the easiest for me was to go back to Pakistan and I visited factories. I took a few designs and I said, you know, can you make these for me? Can I see, you know, what this could look like? And my idea was that can a designer in Spain, you know, send a piece of design that I could then take to a factory, but really ultimately use technology to transfer those files? And can they produce that product? How fast can we produce that product? So I work with factories. We did raise capital um, early on in the cycle. Um, And so, uh, you know, I think uh, there's a lot of learnings in that as well. 
but I raised, you know, as a solo founder and I raised on PowerPoint slides and I did not have a product, you know, in market at that time. Um, and, uh, you know, talking to customers and really just serving, you know, as many customers as possible. If we could create this kind of a product, once I had, you know, those samples, you know, what is the interest if we were to make these, you know, on demand, right? How long would they be willing to wait? You know, the fact that we're making them without any waste, you know, what does that mean to our customers? So really there was, this was a multi-sided marketplace and platform. And, and I wanted to, you know, kind of check in on each of those sides before I dived in. Absolutely. You talked a lot about doing kind of customer research even before you were producing products, which is something I always recommend to all, all founders, entrepreneurs, merchants, however you self-identify. Um, at what point in the journey, did you feel like you had stumbled onto product market fit? Like this, it's such a hard thing to describe. And I feel like you can, it's, you know, yeah, when you have it, but before then you don't. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I would say that for us, the biggest uh, element there was whether we were serving a real need for our artist community and for our designers. Um, and so the product market fit was really with our designers. You know, I think I would say that we we were more challenged when it came to customers, um, you know, to end customers who would buy the product. But when it came to our designers, they really didn't have a way to get, you know, their idea into a real product that could be made, you know, at factories all around the world. And really what we were doing was we were benefiting from the economies of scale. If you have a thousand designers and ultimately, you know, we had hundreds of thousands of designers, you know, then we can take, you know, their work to one factory and say, you know, we're going to produce these products that are, you know, that we're giving those factories economies of scale. And so you know, we were really serving a real need. And that was the product market fit that really clicked, you know, and that is how we really scaled the company. And within the first sort of few years, you know, we 10x the company. Um, and it was all through sort of our work with our designer community. Can you talk about uh, just economies of scale and how your model really helped these small designers get something they couldn't really get? Yeah. So, you know, Kind of going back to my personal experience where I was one person walking into a small factory and saying, can you please make, you know, these five items for me? You know, and they might do that as a favor one day, but the next day, you know, and the next day, they're not going to stop their machines, you know, for this one designer, right? And what I heard from a lot of our designers is that, you know, they knew factories, you know, so there's one, one story that comes to mind. One of my designers mentioned that, you know, she worked for a large brand and she actually knew a lot of different factories all over the world and she would call them and she would place the orders. And then she stopped working for that brand and she was a solo designer. And she said, you know, I said, hey, I, I have all the relationships with the factories. Let me, you know, actually call them and see if they would make something for me. And she said, nobody returned my call. Nobody returned the call, right? And it's because as one single solo designer, you know, you're not going to give an order of 10,000 pieces. It doesn't make any sense. So how do you even get started? You know, how do you get started with the one piece that's going to ultimately get you to the 10,000 pieces? So the economies of scale is that's where that comes in is that when we can work with, you know, all these designers, we have all the products that they want to make, you know, we have the customers that want to buy those products. We can go to one factory and instead of giving them an order from one designer, we're giving them an order from, you know, tens of thousands of designers. Hey there, merchant. Are you tired of trying to navigate the wild world of e-commerce on your own? Are you looking for a partner to help you achieve your goals? Look no further than the Shopify Plus agency, Electric Eye. 
Our team has a proven track record of helping our clients make millions with strategic design and development. Whether you're migrating from a legacy platform to Shopify, designing a new theme for your store, or just looking to optimize what you already have, Electric Eye is the perfect partner for you. Electric Eye are true Shopify experts. Not only is our Shopify knowledge unparalleled, but we have partnerships with all the best tech in the Shopify ecosystem. And don't worry, we're easy to get a hold of. Our clients rave about our fast communication. So here's the deal. If you're an e-commerce business doing over $1 million a year, you can receive a complimentary Shopify diagnostic from our team of experts. That's free, personalized strategic recommendations to improve your store and grow your business. To get started, head on over to electriceye.io slash connect to schedule an intro call with one of our experts. That's electriceye.io slash connect. Struggling to get your Merchant Center ads approved but keep running into a price mismatching error? Wondering how your competitors are showing reviews, price, delivery, and product availability directly in search results? What if there's a way to get more traffic without fighting for rankings? Well, that's where Jason LD for SEO comes in. It's an app that gets you more organic traffic to your Shopify store, qualifying you for over a dozen search enhancements, and provides all of the structured data you need for Merchant Center. JSONLD for SEO automatically adds the structured data needed and it's updated regularly as the rules change by Google. It's a hands-off SEO app that you don't need to monkey around with to get working. It's the safest, easiest, and most effective way to stand out from your competitors in search results. Contact us to get your free structured data audit for your store. Find JSONLD for SEO in the Shopify app store to get started. That's J-S-O-N-L-D for SEO, or go to J-S-O-N-L-D dot app. For listeners that are a little newer to working with factories or just how all that stuff works, and this is, please correct me if I'm wrong, this is a little more presumptive, but it's the same amount of work to set up the machines to produce one product as it is to produce 100,000 products. But the factory makes more money on that bigger job. So they're going to opt for the larger jobs and pass on all the smaller ones. Um, so where you guys are helping is you're saying, well, you're going to do these, you're just going to do a lot of smaller jobs, basically. <laughs> exactly. And and there too, we use technology, you know, so a lot of our manufacturing is digital manufacturing, um, which means that, uh, you know, there is really no setup cost, you know, because if you have, say, 10,000 different SKUs, right, from 10,000 different designers, and mm -hmm. if you had to set up for every single SKU, you know, which is sort of more of the traditional form of manufacturing and traditional form of printing, uh, then that is incredibly expensive for a factory to do. So, you know, we're really utilizing technology in that way as well, where, you know, we were using digital manufacturing, just-in-time production, so that there was no setup cost, and we could actually produce, you know, millions of SKUs, you know, in one go at mass scale. Oh man, I, I could run down that rabbit hole and ask you so many questions, but it might get boring to the listeners. But there is another question that I had for, that you so when I asked you about product market fit, you mentioned that it first kind of came through these partnerships with your designers, and you were having issues getting customers. Right? I feel like a lot of our listeners are having that same issue. What were some of the things that you tried that ended up working, or were there things that you tried that just didn't work? And you say, yeah, maybe avoid this. Yeah, yeah, no, we 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 did all the the usual suspects, but I will tell you, is you know, digital marketing, PR, you know, uh, influencer partnerships. We had some incredible, incredible celebrities that work with us. We were on Home Shopping Network, you know, broadcast TV. So 
everything that any of your listeners might have tried, you know, we tried it and we we did it. And I and I will say that, you know, we were we were reasonably successful. Um, at the same time, you know, and I know Chase, you wanted to talk about, you know, kind of where Vita is today. Um, you know, there we hit a real, real sort of moment in time. You know, so as as um, you might know, you know, we um, we were on this journey of acquiring customers, growing the company, um, but then COVID hit, right? And March 2020, um, each of our factory basically started to shut down. You know, this is where you know every day I would wake up and hear about another country that is basically in lockdown, right? And when we are doing just-in-time production, we're manufacturing only what people have actually purchased. That meant we didn't have anything to manufacture because we didn't have any factories that were open and working. So in that moment, I mean, we were very close to, I would say, losing the company to, to basically saying, you know, you talk about sort of a slow decline. No, this was an over, our overnight successes. This was an overnight, you know, like nothing that we can sell. Um, at the same time, you know, yes, I was losing sleep on what I should do with my company, but I was actually losing sleep really a lot more on just what was happening in the world, you know, and New York, you know, we were hearing of so many deaths, right? And, and just the cases and the numbers rising. And my thought was, hey, if we can produce products so fast, we're producing them just in time. Can we not produce masks? You know, and this was the time that Amazon did not have masks. This was the time that we were talking about whether masks are even a good idea. CDC had not recommended masks, but looking at the research, looking at the numbers, you know, I felt, no, we do need masks. And uh, we, within a matter of literally four days from idea to launching the product on our website, we launched those masks. And that was a product that in that moment, you know, we all needed that product. I remember just doing a Facebook post to my friends and, you know, we had bought that enough, uh, enough of a batch that we thought it would last us, you know, maybe two weeks. We sold it in 30 days. And I think if you think about product market fit with customers, then that was the true product market fit because it was the moment where we could deliver a product that, you know, people absolutely needed and could not get access to. Absolutely. And, and you kind of mentioned almost in the beginning of the conversation that you guys kind of started to pivot into healthcare. And I'm assuming that was the impetus there. Exactly. Exactly. And it was... You know, it's those moments where you might say, no, but what about, you know, everything that we've built to date? I mean, we had over 10 million SKUs. If you go walk into a Target store, you know, you'd probably find 50,000 SKUs, right? I mean, so we had really built this company and we had incredible investors and, you know, and, and should we be doing this? But in that moment, it was really about rising to the need and being able to do something that we felt you know, we had the potential, we had the capability to make that happen. And since then, you know, we've really, really turned into a consumer health company. You know, and we've used all of the, uh, all of the principles, all of the fundamental sort of ideas, you know, and concepts that we built this company with. All of those have actually played a humongous role in, you know, the Vita that we are today. 
Absolutely. Uh, so as you guys stand today, uh, other is there any other kind of new products that you guys have been bringing to market outside of masks that maybe stemmed from the pandemic or from what you've learned from healthcare? Yeah. So when we launched, you know, one of the key sort of um, thought that we had was that uh, if you think about sort of masks that are made out of cloth, you know, my feeling was that, yes, that is that is important that we have some protection, but that is not protection enough. And also from a business perspective, um, you know, I could see that we could all be or many people could, you know, actually sew cloth masks in their homes. And so what is that true gap, you know, and what is the gap that is not very easily addressable? And for us, it was high protection masks, you know, it was masks that come with a filtration that really, you know, when you put that on, you know, you know, you are protected. Um, and so the very first mask that we launched was a cloth mask with a PM 2.5 filter. Um, as we grew, as we, you know, progressed, um, but then also as the virus started to, you know, grow and there were new variants when, when Delta hit, you know, we said before anybody else, we said we need to really increase the protection. You know, the cloth mask with PM 2.5 filter that is not enough. And people started talking about double masking. But before anyone started talking about it, you know, we said we need higher protection masks. We need the KF94s, the KN95s. And at this point, you know, we have enough supply. The global supply is opening up such that, you know, we don't have to limit those only for healthcare providers or at-risk populations. We need that for the general population also because that is how everybody will be protected. That is how we can then protect the at-risk population as well. And so we evolved, you know, in our healthcare offerings from, you know, the initial product to really high protection product. Then we brought our artists back in. You know, so we actually had our artists design our masks um, and our designers, you know, really bring very beautiful, highly, highly designed, highly beautiful, you know, fashionable masks so that we all feel great in, you know, not only just protecting ourselves, but, you know, that is something that is on trend. And we actually think of this almost as a piece of accessory. So, so that kind of got us into, you know, healthcare products almost as accessories, but products that, you know, make a real difference. So where we are today is, you know, we really think of the space as if I think of sort of, you know, generally you think of health products that you might go get from a Rite Aid or a Walgreens and you walk those aisles and those products are largely quite depressing, right? Yet they're so important. So, you know, if you think about bringing art and design and sustainability to the world of consumer health products, non-prescriptive, you know, consumer health products, that is really the space that, you know, we want to make a real difference in. Absolutely. Now, is there anything that I didn't ask you about today that you think would resonate with our listeners? I mean, you're asking incredible questions. It's been it's been a really fun conversation. Uh, you know, one of the things that I could share with you is that uh, Vita, right from the beginning, you know, we've always, always invested in education and empowerment. So for every product that we make, you know, we offer literacy programs and education and empowerment programs for our factory workers. Um, but it was about now a little over a year ago that I started another organization called One League and Vita provided a $1 million grant to start One League. And One League is a uh, new education institution where we are providing the world's 
most talented but underserved population and underserved change makers of the world with world-class education and opportunities. Um, so, you know, Vida and all the success that Vida has had, you know, really enabled us to do that. And every purchase on the Vida website contributes to the Global Scholarship Fund for One League. That's amazing. Now, if I'm a listener and I'm curious to learn more about Vita or One League, where should I go? Shopvita.com for Vita and one-league.org for One League. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you so much, Chase. It was a pleasure. We can't thank our guests enough for coming on the show and sharing their knowledge and journey with us. We've got a lot to think about and potentially add into our own businesses. You can find all the links in the show notes. You can subscribe to the newsletter at honestycommerce.co to get each episode delivered right into your inbox. If you're enjoying this content, consider leaving a review on iTunes. That really helps us out. Lastly, if you're a store owner looking for an amazing partner to help you get your Shopify store to the next level, reach out to Electric Eye at electriceye.io. Until next time.